Matt Schober, um, editor in chief, host, creator. I don't know what your title is exactly with Monster Riff, but uh, the man behind Monster Riff. Thank you. And uh, editor in chief is like what I have in like my email signature over there. But yeah, I mean, like that's that's pretty generous if like you're the main writer. <laughs> yeah. So like <laughs> well, we you do a lot of things. So it's like editor in chief hardly even fits at a certain point when you're you yeah. know, doing podcast and all sorts of stuff. So primary creator. I don't know. Yeah. There used to be a couple more writers who were like coming in and out. And like lately I've been kind of hard up for writers because it's there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, but yeah, um, as you said, there is, there's obviously we try to get out a, an article a week, uh, usually on Fridays and then trying to do a podcast episode, uh, once per month. And so like, I, like I told you, like, I'm really impressed that you can get one out a week. Cause that's, it's hard. It's a lot it's of a work. crazy. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, both of us have backgrounds in marketing and I try to lend myself to to bands and musicians as much as possible so like there are some resources on the website for uh musicians who are trying to figure that out so like the ebook is on there um and it's a pretty high level overview of like marketing opportunities for musicians that like aren't really expensive and it just kind of goes into how to use the different tools a little more effectively yeah uh so there there are a lot of pieces of of monster riff but um I'm really trying to do all of it in like one hour a day. And sometimes that's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just the, uh, the amount of time I spend on social media and Instagram specifically and stuff now is mm -hmm. ridiculous. And then research and then podcasting and then editing and then trying to create graphics and, and funny content to, to post yeah. throughout the week. I mean, it's, it's, it's way too much time. I have kids and I have a full-time job and the amount of time I spend on this sometimes is, is unrealistic i like yeah that that and that that the humor aspect that you bring in i think is probably underappreciated too because like everything you do takes time but then to sit there and be able to like i don't know what your joke process is or like what your like the the satire side of your your process is but like that's a lot of work too and then you have to yeah. go and like actually make it yeah yeah it's, it's like coming up with the joke but then also like you have to go and like photoshop it and make it make it look legit you know it's it, it is a lot and i wish i i wish i could say that i had like a hundred just sitting there and i go well i'm gonna do this one today or whatever and like send them out but i wake up every day going fuck i don't have anything for today i yeah. wake up every single day that way <laughs> and I go, all right what can i throw together that's mildly funny and i can do right. today right i you get know, speaking, it. Of, speaking of humor Let's address the uh, satanic goat in the room, if you will. Um, we're both wearing the same exact shirt today. <laughs> and it was not planned for anyone watching on YouTube. Uh, this was not coordinated. I did not call you and ask you to wear the same shirt today. Um, <laughs> you know, we're both fans of, of Blake and, and Iwas. And uh, they just sent these shirts out. And it felt like an appropriate time to wear them. As he was just on the last podcast... I didn't right. want to wear it when he was on. It felt a little bit too, uh, I don't know, awkward. But here we are wearing the exact same <laughs> shirt today. So uh, shout out to, to Iwas. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was so funny because like, yeah, this morning I, I was doing like the Saturday music recommendations thing that I do through the Instagram page. 
and like this shirt just came in it's a really really cool shirt and so i was yeah. like i think i've called out like awas before but i might as well give him another shout out because like the shirt's cool and i was and i was rocking it this morning and then i was like i guess i'll just keep it on like i wasn't sure if i wanted to wear like a monster riff shirt today but i was like i, I got this on like it's cool um I guess like most of the show will be about Monster Riff anyway, and it'll be like in the title, so like I don't need to wear the shirt. And then yeah. turn on the camera, and there you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. So anyway, shout out to to Blake and, and the crew, and um, I think was it is what's his name, David Seymour Paul or Paul Seymour, David Paul Seymour. He's the he's the guy that created the shirt. Oh that yeah, designed it. Super talented. Does a lot. Of, does a lot of shirts in the in the scene and stuff, and awesome stuff. So mm-hmm. anyway, here we are. Um, <laughs> So let's talk about Monster Riff. What made you start Monster Riff? I know you have kind of a background in marketing and whatnot, and you obviously like the music. So at what point did you go, I want to create something based around that? And and yeah. what was that like vision like? Because for, for Slightly Fuzzed, and I told you when I was on your podcast, was like, it started strictly as just being funny album covers. And it just kind of like organically grew into more and more and more through that. And just being like, I think I can do more for these bands. I think I can help them. I think I can, you know, be a resource for them some way. You know, what, what was it in your head that you were, you were creating? So to kind of set the stage, I mean, a few years ago, I didn't know anybody who like could even stomach a note of like stoner rock. Uh, my wife like tolerated it, but like none of my friends were into it. And even like my, my brother who got me into like Caius, he like had kind of left that space a while ago. And he, like, now he listens to like a lot of like, um, like folk music and stuff, which is, which is cool. Um, so starting Monster Riff kind of served two purposes. One, it gave me like an outlet to like talk about the stuff that I think about all day and that I appreciate. And then two, I was looking for an SEO project outside of work. So like uh, something that I can control and like wasn't under any client constraints and just kind of like to help work on some of my like SEO skills and like trying to get stuff to rank for, for Google and very quickly, not, not too quickly. I would say within like six months, I had like a few articles up that were ranking pretty well and I like bands started to notice and they were like asking for reviews, which was like weird because like, I don't have like a really great music background. And so I think my approach to to music and listening is a little bit different uh, for some people. And then, so like that started. And then from there uh, I started like every now and then I would reach out to, to bands that I really liked and wanted to get an inter- interview with. So like the first band uh, was like truck fighters. And like, I, at the time I was like, I have no business talking to you. I've got like maybe eight posts on this blog and like, you're, you're the real deal, <laughs> you know? And uh, so there was never any sort of business plan. It, I did go through sort of like an identity crisis, maybe a couple summers ago where it, it seemed like I was at like some sort of inflection point where you know, maybe there was an opportunity to start like a label or um, even like selling stuff on the site. Like I had so many bands or I had so much traffic for like individual albums and things that like maybe if like bands weren't a partner, we could have like some sort of module on the page where people could buy buy the record right after they read about it. And you know, I talked to some of the bands about it and they were like, that's cool, but like we don't really see a need for it. And then 
I was like, this is like a lot of e-commerce stuff. There's like taxes involved. So I actually like talked to a couple of lawyers about it just to get their perspective. And they were like, yeah, if there's no money in it, don't do it. Like it's, it's going to be way too much work, way too much time. It's going to be way too expensive. Like don't go for it. That's and then cool. one of my friends was like, well, what is your actual goal here? And I was like, really, at the end of the day, I just want to get more exposure to these bands, like all of the stuff that I love to listen to, like they deserve a wider audience. And so that's how the podcast came about. Cause she was like, well, if you, if you do the podcast and you embed songs into the podcast, it'll actually count as a play for them, like through Spotify. So like, that'll help them out too. That'll help out a mm -hmm. bunch of different things. And so that's how the podcast started. And so everything has just been kind of organic. Um, the other thing that, uh, it, it makes sense when you like say it out loud, but I, I kind of resisted for a while was, um, was the social media side because I didn't want, initially I didn't want to spend this much time on it. Uh, and so when I started the social media side, that's when things really started to grow. Um, and like, that's when I really started making better relationships with like people like you and like Blake, who we just talked about and yeah. a lot of other people um, from the scene. So that just opened up so many doors. And I think that compounded some of that early growth uh, even farther. Yeah, that's interesting. Because like I, I never wanted to do anything aside from social media. I'm like, mm. it, it's free. Yeah. It's, like, it's very shareable. It's like the whole point. You can message people there. You can, make, you can build all these relationships there. And it grows there because, I mean, that's what growth almost means these days. Is like if you're, if you're big on social media, like the website will follow, you know? So I was like, I never, I never wanted a website. I didn't want to like host anything. I didn't want to pay for the domain. I didn't want to like, I was just Instagram and and still am to a certain extent, aside from like a small YouTube channel and a right. very small Twitter. But like, so you've been at this a while, even before you even got on social media. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I was probably a couple of years before I was like, it's, it makes sense yeah. <laughs> to do yeah. it. Um, I also saw that like, so for my, for like my day job as like a marketer, I'm really bad about promoting my own, my, like my day job because I spend so much time like working on my clients that like, I don't, I don't really want to touch it anymore. <laughs> I already do. And, uh, you know, I'd seen, I'd seen in a couple instances among my peers who were like also doing their own thing that they, they'd gotten turned down by different prospects because they didn't they couldn't prove that they had their own social media channel and like actually were, we're doing things on their own and i was like i still don't want to do that like through poetica like i don't i don't want to like it just i, I hate that side of of self-promotion but i was like i could do that through monster if um and i could talk music all day so like, that's like my little case study now it's like here's here's an account and like here's me making reels and that kind of thing you know yeah for me like having a background in marketing, but like struggling with the, like the corporate structure of the company and being like, here's something we should, we should be on social media. And like, you know, then it goes to like a board of people or like some, some bosses and they go, mm, I don't know, maybe it makes sense. Sure. Let's try it for a little bit. And, you know, we'll, we'll push out our articles on Twitter or whatever. And it's just like this very like half-assed attempt mm -hmm. at social media. And even as the marketing person for some of these companies, you go, that's not how, how it's going to work. I mean, like, it's good that you're there. That's a, that's a good first step, but like, it's not going to do anything for you. You know, you're just going to sit there and you're going to keep pushing out your own shit. Mm -hmm. And maybe you'll get a thousand followers. Maybe you'll get 5,000 followers. I don't know, but it's not going to do anything for you. You know, it's, it's barely going to move the needle. Yeah. 
so like that was part of it for me too was like with slightly fuzz was like and i think i said this to you was like it's the anti marketing attempt at marketing where it was like whatever i'm doing for them i'm gonna do the opposite mm-hmm. i'm gonna like connect with people i'm gonna talk to them i'm gonna comment on their stuff and I'm going to share their stuff for them and I'm going to interact, like actually interact. And I'm going to, it's going to be vulgar sometimes. It's going to be inappropriate at times and it's going to be fun. And if I have an idea in my head, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to like pause and go, well, I don't know. Is this a good idea? I don't, I'm just going to do it and see if it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And when people come to me, I'm going to say yes. Every time. And it's it, you have to convince me to say no. Is it, I think the mm-hmm. way I put it. It's like my default is yes. Whereas with a corporate company doing their marketing, the default is no. Like you have to really convince them to say yes. And yeah. I wanted to do like the very opposite of that. And I mean, it it's kind of worked. I mean, like you you know, there's good days and bad days on social media, and there's you know things that that hit harder and, and better than others. But it's like I just feel like now I even at my own job, I, I take some of that with me. Not that I'm posting like fart jokes for my company or anything like that, but you know, you 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 see how like interacting with other companies makes a difference, and like helping them helps you, not the opposite. You know, you don't you're not like pushing stuff and hoping someone shares it for you. You share their stuff, mm-hmm. and it helps you. you know, stuff like that is like yeah, it, just doing like kind of the opposite of what a lot of companies do has yeah been beneficial. I wish more companies and mine included would learn from that a little bit. Yeah. There's uh there's definitely truth in well f- first of all I think just to like encapsulate that I think really good marketing doesn't feel like marketing. And so yeah. like when you when you put out like a fake album cover with I don't know some sort of joke on it like that doesn't feel like marketing for slightly fuzz but it is because people yeah. like it, they love it and they and share that's the thing it, is, it wasn't. It it started off it wasn't at all. Right. And it just kind of turned into like the thing that I did. Same with like the playlist. It was like when I made it, I was like, this is not going to benefit me at all. But I have a list already made. I might as well share it with people. Right. Well, now it's turned into a thing that benefits me because now yeah. bands want to get on it. And now they send me music and they they want to like interact with. And it's like, I didn't even know that that was going to be possible. It was just honest. I'm like, I'll just share my list with people. Maybe they'll like it. It was no marketing behind it. But it turned right. in. But it turned into a thing that 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 mattered, you know. Right, and that's why. Like, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. It's so important to remember that the social media is social first. So yeah. if you actually go in and like have like a human relationship with with people in the scene, that will benefit you. And it's it's not just like that that boring like, oh, we wrote a new blog post. Everybody come look at it. Like that doesn't work. Um, yeah. And if it does, it doesn't work very well as like it does, like actually building a relationship and and doing things on a deeper level than just kind of blasting, blasting your stuff out over and over right. again. Yeah. But you're right, though, that like I see that even with um, with like the requests that come in, like through Monster Riff for like album reviews, um, because like I'm not I, I try to be as decent as possible to the scene and like um I'll, I'll be very upfront with people if like it doesn't fit because like if, if you come in with like a super super doomy um or like thrash metal kind of like album like i'm not your guy like i i, I won't appreciate this and i will view it very poorly because i don't have a frame of reference for yeah. that album and like sometimes that happens and i was like this isn't for me you gotta let it go but if like um if somebody sends in like a stoner rock album that's like really bad 
you know, it's like, it's, it's a tough decision, right? Because like, I have like a pros and cons section at, at the end of each article, because I want to like, be fair to like the listener as well. So like, there's, yeah. there's constant like tightrope to, to kind of walk. And I think that if you can, if you can do that honestly, and consistently, I think that ends up benefiting everybody. Yeah, I, I've talked to a couple bands on here about like reviews in like an underground scene like this. And, and, and they kind of changed my mind on it. Because at first I was like, this seems like such bullshit. Like people, every review I see is positive. And like, I, that doesn't help me as a, as like a fan, like you just saying everything is great. Like then nothing is great. Mm -hmm. And now I don't, now I don't believe you. Now I don't trust you. <laughs> and a couple of the bands were like, and the people that do the reviews were like, well, listen, if, if we don't like it, we're just not going to review it. We're not going to be negative. We're not going to like post a negative review and like kick some small band when they're down, you know, yeah. like that's, that's not right. If it's some big band, if it's like Mastodon or all them witches or something, yeah. then sure, you know, they they're open themselves to like some negative reviews. But most reviewers were like, no, we're not gonna review it if it's if we don't like it. So yeah, all we post is like positive, mostly positive reviews. And I was like, okay, I guess that I guess that does make sense. Cause like it is kind of bogus if you're a small band and you get some negative review, you're like, damn, dude, I only had five fans to begin with. Now I have <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I get it, but also like as a fan of music and and someone that's not in a band or reviews music, I just see all these positive reviews and I go, well, what am I supposed to do with that? And I listen to some yeah. of them and I go, I didn't like that. You said it was great. You said five stars and I didn't like it. And I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's that's something that I really struggled with at the beginning because I, I wanted that there were a lot of really great publications in this space, like, and there are people I respect, like, absolutely. Um, but when I started Monster If, I, I, I felt like there were a lot of opportunities to kind of elevate the scene a little bit um, from like a journalistic perspective. And some of that was just visual. Um, there are a lot of like sites that are just kind of like a black background, white text, uh, very like old school feel. And it's like a really cool aesthetic, but it's not always like super user friendly. So I wanted yeah. something that was like white background with black and not necessarily to distinguish myself, but just to like, I don't want anybody to feel fatigued, you know, reading my website. Yeah. Um, but uh, two, like, I hate reviews that are like, they'll go through like an entire album in like a paragraph and they'll just be like, this first song sounds really cool. And the second song has a really cool riff. And the third song has like a really cool, like bass solo. And like, that's great. And I have something to like listen for in each track, but like, I, I want to like get a sample I want to, I want to like know like what were the lyrics in like the second track and like, what was he talking about? And I think there are so many opportunities to like bands spend so much time on a record and I feel like they deserve, you know, a little, you know, a little more uh, from the people that are reviewing them in some cases. Yeah. The pros and cons thing is interesting because that's, that's a, that's a great way to like kind of sum it up and be like, Here's what's great about the album. Here's what it sounds like. Here's what they're talking about. Here's why I liked it. All very positive things. But at the end, be like, if I'm going to be completely honest, there's yeah. this and there's this. Like, because I think that you need that. And again, like as a fan, I go, that's fair. I mean, you know, yeah. I don't love every album that I hear. I'm I'm mostly a pretty positive guy, and I see the good in a lot of these albums. But sometimes I'm like, no. Yeah. And I always feel bad, like writing like the con section and kind of like hold my breath, like hitting publish. Yeah. 
But I would say like 90% of the feedback I get from it, it was like, you know what, that was like, that was really fair. That was a great observation. We're going to like keep that into account the next time we yeah. go to the studio. Do you get, do you get feedback sometimes? Yeah. Um, most, I don't think, actually, now that I think about it, I don't think anybody's ever like come at me for it, like for like a negative uh, perspective. Um, but like, yeah, just the other day, um, a band reached out and they were like, you know, I agree with you on that. Like we could have done better in, in that area. And so I was like, interesting. Yeah. Great. I'm glad you agree because I don't know what any of this stuff is. I think, I think I've gotten better and I've definitely like learned a lot. Like I've started taking music lessons and things, but like I've listened to stoner rock in a bubble for like eight years and like formed all of these opinions. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm finally like projecting them onto the world and, you know, seeing what comes back. It's tough because you open yourself up to, you know, those bands being turned off mm-hmm. by you a little bit. And, and also, I, I mean, you're not going to like everything. It's, it's subjective in the end. So even if you say that this wasn't good or I didn't like this, like someone else might. And, yeah. and we've kind of talked about that a little bit with like some sludgier, doomier kind of stuff where it's not always our, our thing, but that doesn't mean that it's not good to somebody. I mean, people obviously love a lot mm-hmm. of albums that you and I don't necessarily love. And if you're going to review it, you're going to say that, well, this wasn't very good. I didn't like this, whatever. And the next person is going to be like, best album ever. Yeah, this perfect, my perfect in every way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, in the end, it is subjective. Yeah. And I, I do see uh, a little bit more backlash on um, one, some of like the, the newsier style stuff that actually like talks about like problems in the scene. And two, people like will come hard and heavy for like the listicle stuff. Like, so there's, um, there's an article, a great article that Nick Pipitone did on uh, like the best modern psychedelic bands in the scene. And I, I thought it was great. Uh, I thought it was really, I, I loved his picks. I didn't have any issues with them. I, I added one in. I, um, he didn't have King Buffalo on the first one. And I was like, that seems like a huge miss to me. Like they're one of the yeah. best in the scene right now. Um, like across multiple genres, like one of the finest bands out there right now, like we should have them on this list. They're very psychedelic. Uh, So that was like the only critique I had. And there has been like, I think that has been the most commented on article because there are a lot of people who are very upset by that. There were a couple, there were like, there were a few people we left off like OCs and some others. And I, you know, I didn't, I'm still really happy with who we listed. And eventually like you have to cap it somewhere. Like I'm not, I'm not going to make it like 13. Like that's such a weird number. And like 10 is definitely better than like 11, but like, and I wasn't going to bump anyone off. And like we want, I wanted to have King Buffalo in there. So like that, that has like sparked a lot of conversations. Um, How, how, uh, how controversial can we get on this show? Sky's the limit, man. Okay. Um, no boundaries here. <laughs> I, I did an article on uh, um, the Stone Meadow of Doom after all of that melted down. Yeah. And that was a couple of years ago at this point. And the feedback in there generally has been like, oh, like, I, I didn't even know that happened. Uh, because that's still like a very popular YouTube channel and like Facebook group too. But mm-hmm. like people will be like, I didn't know that happened. I'm really glad you told me. Uh, some other people in this scene, like ended up sharing that into their own Facebook groups for like discussion and stuff. But uh, I thought it was over. It was like two years ago. It happened. Like the article still ranks well when you search for Stone Meadow of Doom. 
so like it's there and like it'll show like his youtube channel and then it's like my, my article about it yeah. Yeah. but like somebody like came to his defense the other day uh and i i guess for like context for people who don't know like uh the guy who started stone meadow of doom um has gotten a lot of backlash over the years for like being like anti-semitic and racist and sexist and he's been labeled a lot of different things and and not treating the bands very well that he worked with yeah, very predatory. yeah like he was he was doing like festivals but like charging bands to be there and i think even charging bands to like audition so there was like a lot of like predatory behavior in his youtube channel like he was reporting like if you if you gave your album to him to post he would like do like copyright strikes on other channels if you if they posted it there too so i think like his end goal was be like the only channel so anyway did a piece on this and then like two years later somebody tries to come to his defense and like talk about how like the scene people have like opportunities to grow and i was like he doubled down like he apologized yeah. and then like a week later he doubled down like he missed yeah. his opportunity to grow and i don't i don't in his defense i don't know what he's like today like i don't pay yeah. attention to him i don't subscribe yeah. to any of his stuff so like he could be born again i don't know but yeah. uh, i was like you know we can sit here and argue like i'm happy, <laughs> happy yeah. to do that it's interesting that you brought him up though because when we were talking about and we'll get to this in, in later in the episode about some like albums that we think are like essential stoner albums and, and whatnot. I was thinking about some of the early albums that I really latched onto. And like, I only knew, you know, 20 albums at that point. This is like 10 years ago. And I was like, this is one of the greatest albums ever made or whatever. And I was thinking about it just this morning and being like, man, I, some of those albums were all from stone meadow of doom and how important that channel was to me because I didn't know, Mr. Doom, I, I mean, I think he was a lot smaller back then because really Stone Meadow of Doom kind of had like a monopoly on some of that yeah. kind of stuff. And, you know, I didn't have Spotify. I didn't have Instagram. I didn't have Slightly Fuzz. Like it was Stone Meadow of Doom on YouTube all the time. And I I discovered so many bands from that. And yeah. the whole reason I like this music is a lot because of, of him and his channel. And then I'm thinking about like the fallout from all that and and all the things that he said and did and all that kind of stuff. And just being like, wow, it's so weird to think that like how important he was, but like, you're not, you're not really supposed to talk about it anymore and no one will mention his name. And if you do, there's, you know, it's very strange. And, and I don't, you know, I don't fucking know the guy. I don't have any yeah. like skin in that game at all, but like, man, I, I really discovered so many albums and stuff from that. And, and we'll get into some of those albums and stuff later, but it is interesting that you brought it up because he, I mean, that channel was big and I think it's, yeah. it's probably like, it's probably half of what it was, but it's still going. Well, what's crazy is somebody, somebody actually asked me about it the other day. And so kind of like got into it again and he lost quite a bit, um, but it has since like, it's on the upswing again. And I think he has even more followers now than before. Oh really? Yeah. Which, which I was surprised about, but I mean like to, to his credit, um, he does have a, a great curation of, of yeah. music. and I, I too, before all of that happened, like I found a lot of great stuff through there. Yeah. Um, and I also, I, you know, I have to say that I'm, this is, it's like, it's so, I don't want to get into this kind of stuff on the podcast, but it's like, I'm so not like a cancel culture type of person. I don't give a shit what people do. It's none of my fucking business. I don't care if you're a dick. I don't care if Josh Hami kicks a photographer in the face I don't care. I still love Queens of Stone Age. You can go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care. What do you mean? 
so, but this was one case where I looked into it. I probably read your article and didn't even know it was you. Honestly. <laughs> and I remember looking into it and seeing the details and seeing like screenshots and just going like, eh. yeah. And, what, and what's, I think what's complicates things even further is that like his, his profile picture is a ripoff of the truck fighters uh, album cover for grab the X. Right. And so like that put, truck fighters in a real uncomfortable position too. And they even had to put out like a Facebook post being like, Hey, like, if you see this, that's not us. Like we're not affiliated. We don't agree with anything that he said, but like, that's, that's a really tough spot to put a band into, especially like a band that you obviously care about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That whole thing is pretty strange. And, and, you know, like I said, he can go fuck himself too, because he, I, like I, the stuff that I saw was like, you can't really dispute it. And it, it was, it was pretty gnarly and it wasn't cool. And I unfollowed him and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's like the only instance that I can really think of in my head where I was like, okay, I should probably cancel that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause most of the time I'm like, fuck, shut up, you know? But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So you're 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 helping bands you're you're encouraging their their marketing skills and that kind of stuff and you've done it a few different ways with with your posts and and what you share and and whatnot you wrote a book yes tell us about the book and and for one Uh, thing i've always wanted to write a book i've always just been like it'd be so cool to be able to like write my thoughts and opinions my story my adventures and just like publish a book but i don't know how to go about it it seems like a very daunting task you know, what, what was it like writing this book and, and, and why? Is this like the, the real marketing book or like the ebook that I have on Monster Riff? Well, I just saw that it was about like helping bands market themselves. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yes, there, there is uh, an ebook on, on uh, the website. It's not too meaty. It is like, uh, you could call it a white paper too. Um, okay. So that would be like more our, our jargon as marketers, um, but it's maybe 15 pages. And uh, so like not, you know, not like a book book, but it's 15 pages. And I think it's a good like starting point on here's just like where your head should be at. Um, Here's what you should probably think about doing on uh, social media. Here's what you should probably have in your EPK, your electronic press kit. If you don't have one, I talk Mm -hmm. to like a lot of bands, like when they reach out for like review, I'm like, okay, great. Do you have like a press kit for me? And they're like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, well, let's, let's make sure you have that, you know? So like if you reach out to anybody else, you should probably have that. Um, that'll also be helpful for me. So like when you send over like a band photo, like send over like, your bio and all yeah. of your other links that I don't have yet. Uh, so it goes into like things like that. Um, I think I talk a little bit about like the pros and cons of like having a website, uh, what kind of information you should have like in your Bandcamp profile. So it's trying to be, pretty thorough without being like exhaustive, but I think, I think it's a good starting point. And I did refresh it, I think in February to talk about some of like the latest updates on like Instagram. So I think one of my favorite features right now on Instagram is like the collab feature because like, that's just like a a super easy way to like tap into like cross promote, but also tap into another audience so like if if you if you have like uh if your band sounds exactly like another band and you're you don't have a lot of crossover yet like that's a good opportunity to collab 
and like get in front of an audience that's like custom tailored to you. Like that's a slam dunk as far as I'm concerned. And you can like think about like what that content should actually be, but just that collab feature alone is really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in the most recent update, uh, I touched on that and I think I probably expanded in a few other areas as well. Was there another book then? You said that you, you there was. <laughs> I, I wrote a book over the summer. I don't have any copies uh, in front of me, but um, I do have a marketing book out to called The Strategic Marketer. And it is, it's, it's mostly written for solopreneurs and small business owners who are trying to do marketing on their own, but are just kind of feeling overwhelmed. So the first half goes into like a little bit of the theory and the second half goes into more like day-to-day -day apl applicable stuff and like a few different case studies as well from like the real world. Um, actually talk a lot about like the music scene because in, especially like in rock and metal and the underground, there are a lot of like really thrifty uh, cost conscious people. Right. And like, if you run a small business or you have a, like an, un, not an unpopular band, but like an unknown band, you have to be very creative in how you present yourself and like in your mm -hmm. marketing. And I think a lot of times um, there's a lot to learn from this scene. So like in there, I broke down um, one of Baroness's music videos Um I think it was tourniquet. Uh, sorry, one second. It's actually, I don't think it's tourniquet. I think it is. I have it like on the playlist over here. Um, let's see. It was, I think it's, I do anything actually. It's either tourniquet or it's off the golden gray album. But anyway, like if you, it's a cool music video, but like 90% of it is literally just, um, uh, sorry, I think John is the front man and Gina is the, um, the other guitarist. And they're, I think they sing together on it, but most of the music video is their silhouette and they're backlit through a bunch of fog and they use a color light, um, in the lamp too. So it's every shot is mostly just like a silhouette and some sort of color coming from the background and it looks cool. But if you actually think about how that was done, like it wouldn't be hard to reproduce. All you need is like the space, the equipment and like really cool lighting. And you could you could copy that. So looking at things like that, where things look professional and they probably are professional, but it's like not hard. I think um, he draws his own album covers, too, which probably. Yeah. Yeah. Really <laughs> yeah. And um, another one looked at was um, Puta Volcano. Uh I think it was the black box music video. So that's the one, I've, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a, a girl running and she, like, she's just being pummeled with like banana peels and like eggs and like yogurt and like stuff is like, and like, there's just like stuff flying in the background, but I had an opportunity to talk to, or I interviewed Anna Papathanasio. I hope I got that right. Um, she's the the front woman for Puta Volcano. We we broke down that music video together in the interview, and like that was just like they had a camera set up. Uh, the woman was on a treadmill, and then like everybody in the crew just like threw stuff at her. And, like there was like traffic cones and stuff in the background, but they had like a blackout, um, a black curtain in the background, so it looks like she's just running in this void. 
Um, and like after she told me that, I was like, oh, I'm gonna go like watch that a little bit closer. And if you like get close to the screen, like turn up your brightness, you can see all of the debris like still in the background. But it's just like if you're watching for the first time or on your phone, it's just hard to to make it out because yeah. you're not looking for it. Um, but like that was that was really cool. Uh, and so like talking about like things like that too, where it's like you can make something really cool if you are creative enough. And like something like that, if you have like the treadmill all you need to do is like run through a dumpster or like your trash can for like all of the weird stuff they threw at her and you need somebody to like be on the treadmill and you need like a camera, but like, that's not, sorry. Uh, that was like a, a huge, huge diversion. But anyway, it looks at things like that and like how, yeah. and then it'll, it also looks at like, try, I try to be, I tried to be pretty evergreen in terms of the content too, because things in digital marketing change day to day. Like, yeah. like new news, uh, social media platforms come up every day. <laughs> new ones go down every day. Uh, algorithm and Instagram algorithm, changes. Yeah, <laughs> constantly. So tried to be like um, pretty evergreen in terms of like strategy. There was, I forget what one thing I talked about and I took a gamble on it because it was something to do with Instagram. And I took a gamble on it because I was like, this is like a pretty cool technique might be outdated soon, but I'm just going to talk about it. And then uh, the books arrived. And then like two weeks later, Instagram had like an update and it like totally undid like a, a paragraph in my book. And I was like, oh, rats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what are some tips for bands? Because we, we've kind of talked about this, I think before, maybe when I was on your podcast or something, but like nowadays, especially in an underground scene, you kind of have to be your own marketer and it's unfair because you're, you probably have a day job. You're a musician. You shouldn't be expected to be your own marketer, but yeah. nowadays, I mean, you, you kind of have to be, and, and you can't rely on a big label. Even if you are signed to a bigger label in this scene, especially if you're on ripple or heavy bike or something, you still have to be pretty self-reliant as far as marketing on social media, especially, you know, what are you seeing that bands are doing right and what are they doing wrong and what can they, improve on yeah so first let's let's just kind of look at this in like terms of manpower because it's a lot of work and if you're if you do it right you could you could spend an hour a day you could spend half an hour or you could spend eight hours a day <laughs> doing yeah. your marketing and so looking at that perspective it's very overwhelming because a lot of people in this space they work a day job and they have lives um so like it's very difficult to spend eight hours a day uh, marketing. Yep. So there, there's always an opportunity. And I often see at least the band account is usually managed by one person. And that mm -hmm. to me seems unfair and like a lost opportunity because you could share that weight as long as everybody is privy to the strategy and like what the responsibilities are. I mean, you, you could divide that up or at least get the app on everyone's phone so that you can um, you can divide and conquer. And it's really important from, from there. Oh, and I guess the other thing too is if you can, um, figuring out like how to pull in like a band manager too. Um, that, that's like another step up in a lot of band evolutions. But like if you can find somebody who's like who really believes in you and will like work for like a percentage of like an album, you know, like of a hundred albums that you'd put out every year or whatever, like that's cool. But um, 
you know, it, like you, you, so I don't, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but like, that's an option um, that mm-hmm. I see some bands do They're usually a little bit bigger, but like roadkill soda has uh, a really great band manager and like, she'll like sing with them on stage and stuff, but uh, she, she elevates their brand a lot and like helps obviously promote them. But in, in terms of like strategy, I think what we talked about earlier about like actually being human and like actually social is really important. So we'll talk about content in a second, but I think it's really important to actually engage with people in the scene. So it's obviously important to engage with your fans. It's important to engage with like every single comment that comes through um, on all of your channels, but it's also important. Like, I don't, I don't want to like sit here and like toot our horns, but it's like important to like talk to people like, like Ryan of slightly fuzz, right? Uh, It's important to like be friendly with like JJ from the obelisk. Yeah. Um, and it's important to like be part of, of like their Facebook groups and um, just to like be present in, in that space, because if you want any sort of exposure uh, from like Mon- Monster Riff, Slightly Fuzz, The Obelisk, Mr. Doom, like it's helpful to have a foot in the door and like to have some sort of like friendly, you know, uh, back. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that like for the most part, I get to pick who's on this podcast by my own personal preference but there has been a handful of guests and i won't name names but like the reason they were on this podcast if you really boil it down is because they were very like interactive with me especially in the early days Mm -hmm. and they were very supportive and i saw them like stuff and i saw them comment on stuff frequently and it sounds it sounds petty but like I just remember seeing their name all the time. Yeah. I remember seeing it. So when they were like, hey, we have this album coming out. Can we maybe get on the podcast? It was very easy for me to say yes. Yeah. It, it was wasn't like, that I was trying to play yeah. favorites. You know, it wasn't that I was trying to like, you know, being like, well, you've liked my stuff. So I guess, or you haven't. So fuck off. But it was like, I remember seeing their name. So when they asked, I was like, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and I'm sure that goes with the same for a lot of other, you know, blogs, outlets, you know, review sites, whatever it is. Whereas it, it does help. You comment, you share stuff, you support other people. And and some bands do it really well and some bands don't. But to that same point, and I and I I wanted to ask you about this and what your thoughts on it were, is that I saw a lot of bands in the last year, because I think Slightly Fuzz has been up for almost a full year now, that have great social media. They're sharing, they're interacting, they're commenting, they're always posting stuff. And then they release an album and then they disappear. And I'm like, why? Like, why? Why now? Like, you just released it. You have content for days now. You can post about the, the n- number of sales. You can post about singles. You can share a video. You can post every day about how the album's still out for order. Like, why stop now? And it's like the, the second that album comes out, then they disappear. And I'm like, why? Why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I imagine a lot of that is just like fatigue related because if you're not, used to doing this regularly it's a lot of work and i like if if you're just gonna dive out of the scene like i get it i mean to your point though i mean let's kind of shooting yourself in the foot because the the, the lifespan of of an album is is pretty short um unless unless you're huge and you have like a really big back catalog but i mean like what you have like maybe a week window will you'll have like really strong sales and then it'll taper and taper and taper and taper until it's just like a 
a beat here, a beat there, a beat there. Yeah. But I mean, you can keep that alive and you can nurture it to do better. And but you're right too. I mean, like once you have the album out, that opens up new doors too, because like you can get the reviews, you can you can get like interviews on podcasts and things. But that you're right. That's such a wonderful marketing tool that you can leverage. And it's like a huge missed opportunity. I've seen a lot of bands do it where I'm like, well, these guys are good at Instagram. It's great. And then like the album come out and then it'll be, it'll be like, oh, you know, we were number eight on the doom charts and <laughs> albums out. And, you know, we got 12 copies left of vinyl, whatever. But like a week or two goes by and they're gone. I haven't heard from them in like eight months now. And I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. Where have you been? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's dangerous. It's a dangerous move. And it's also... Uh, it's dangerous because if if you want to do album number two, you lost all of that momentum and yeah. you lost those relationships. Like all of those relationships that you'd formed up to that point are now on pause. Well, and now now it kind of seems like fake a little bit. Like now I look back at our interactions and I go, did you only <laughs> reach yeah. out because you wanted to sell me something? And And, you know, I get it. I get the game. But also I go like, oh, man. I thought we were friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's the part that like hurts. Like I I noticed too, like there there are a few people in the scene that like I'm like genuinely friends with and I'll talk to like at least yeah. once a week. Uh, just like if not about music, like we'll talk life stuff in general. But there are a few people like who come in and they'll they'll be like they'll hang out for like a couple of weeks and then they get what they need and then uh -huh. they kind of paper out. And like that's you're right, like that's part of the game. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, but like I will I'll still see them. Uh, just like hitting that like button and like that's something you know yeah. like, I, yeah. I know that they're still paying attention right yeah which helps but in, in terms of to, of content then there's so much that so the way the way i think about this is i think about all of the bands that i love and how much i would like love to engage with them on a more personal level like how many of your favorite musicians would you love to just like have a drink with or like rock out with or whatever. And there's so much stuff that I see a lot of bands miss out on. So like band practice, like no one, no one like ever, I rarely see people post video from like band practice, but like that's such an easy win. All you have to do is like set up your camera and be like, this is like a new song that we're working on. Yeah. People love that. Um, all of like the weird, like, post band practice like we're gonna go run out to taco bell and like do goofy shit like that's funny and like the behind the scenes stuff is so invaluable in like building relationship and giving people a peek behind the curtain um i, I see a lot of people talk about like gear but i think that can be done on a much more personal level too because everyone loves talking about tone and gear and like how they mix and match their pedals and how they produce their individual songs like that's an opportunity to talk about that mm -hmm. um as we're kind of talking here, like not, not to like push people into trends. Like if you're, if it's not your thing, that's not your thing. And I, I don't want anyone to come off feeling like fake or inauthentic, but I mean, like if you're working on a new song, like you could ask people to do edit. Like if, if you're working on a riff, just like get people to, to play a solo over it. And maybe that solo ends up being in the album. First of all, like you could have them do a guest appearance, which would be great for, for both of you. Sure. Um, but two, I mean, like the more duets you get, the more exposure you get simply by the nature of being there. And something like that 
has the potential to get legs because then somebody might if you if you do it like a riff somebody might put a solo over it and then somebody might put drums over that and then somebody puts a bass line over it and then maybe somebody does vocals and all of a sudden you've crowdsourced a song <laughs> and you don't even have to put that song on the album but right. like what a cool piece of content that you could release as like this fun little experiment and like think about like the goodwill that spreads or like the the how each person in that collaboration gets to share it too and like how cool that is like i wish yeah. more bands were a little bit more creative with their actual like music too sometimes where i go fucking you're you're a metal band why don't you like do a country song just for fun and put it out as a single right. like i don't know you know what i mean like fucking yeah. do something weird be be weird i don't you know um what do you think about like like memes and stuff with with bands because there's some bands where i see them and it's i i roll my eyes a little bit they're like here's will smith slapping chris rock and i put my logo on on Will Smith and I put, you know, you're a fan and you're Chris. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I've seen that like a thousand times now already in the last two weeks. I get it, but whatever. At least it's content. At least you're trying. But then there are bands that do it very well. Like Acid Mammoth, for example, like puts like a mammoth spin on like so many different photos and things that it's fun. You kind of get like, it's consistent. You know, you know, every day you're going to see this new, like kind of funny mammoth spin Mm -hmm. on something. And you just go to like kind of expect it and you laugh a little, maybe you like it, whatever. Like they just do it kind of well. And sometimes it's memes, sometimes it's serious, yeah. but there's always like their own like personality into it. And there's some bands that, I, I mean, they're trying, <laughs> but it's like. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a hard game, right? Because like you said, if you, I mean like that Will Smith thing is still going on. I can't tell you how many I saw like this morning and it was like a week ago at this point. Yeah. It, it's, um, so like, okay, you've, you've made a conscious decision to do that. Pros is everybody gets the joke. Con, it's been done to death already. And maybe you missed the opportunity. So like the moment something of international, I don't know if that's fair to say, but of, of major attention like that happens, you really have, you have to be the one to like create that meme. Like you're the one that has to get that screenshot off of YouTube and then like turn it into something. And like, then it becomes a big deal and people like use your template then uh, for that. So I think if you're going to do that, you have to be really early. And if you miss it, there's like the, I think it's just called like the meme generator. So like there are, there are websites that all they do is provide meme templates. And there are like some of those like early, um, like the very, very early day of days of like meme templates from like, early 2000s are just like classic and i love them like the um the like the little kid like holding the his fist up but he has like a, yeah. like a bunch of sand um there's so many good ones that had like the that sort of i, I don't know what you call you, you probably know because you're in graphic design but like that uh they had like the explosion background like hypno frog and like all of those others are so sure. funny and they're, yeah. they're timeless at this point that like you can always jump on those old ones and like make a joke. Here, here's one though, is is that that graph that's like the heaviest objects in the world. And it's like this and lead and something and something else. And I don't know. And then at the end, it was like Black Sabbath or something yeah. like that. And that was like funny and people share it. But then now people are like, you know, putting their band name there. And I go, okay, I know that you're not a comedian. Mm-hmm. I know that you're not a meme creator. You're not a content Instagram page. But like after I see it a hundred times, 
I don't trust you anymore. I don't think that you're the heaviest thing in the world. Like it doesn't do anything for me. And in, in fact, it might do the opposite. I might go get real. Like, yeah, after I've seen it on a hundred bands. You can't all be the heaviest and I don't know your music. So maybe it's heavy. Maybe it's not, but like, I'm a little turned off almost. And maybe, you know, maybe that's unfair, I, but I go like, come on, be a little original. Like, yeah. I know that this isn't your job. I know that you're just trying to like get your name out there and that's fine. But like, be at least a little original. Right. And I think if you're going to do something like that, I mean, it's, it's not that difficult to post a graphic and then put music behind it. So like play like your heaviest riff, like the heaviest riff in your entire catalog have like that five second audio clip like behind that picture. And at sure. least like somebody can like, okay, this is like the heaviest band in the world. They hit yeah. the play button and then they're blown away. And, then sure. it's just, and it's like that one riff from like a sleep song or something. Just, that That's like a, an innovation. At least you've sure. iterated upon like something that's been done to death. But I agree. I think in general, if all you're going to do is like memes, you have to bring something creative to the table or maybe like combine memes or something like that. Like yeah. um, do something innovative so that it stands out a little bit more. Okay. So I know we're, we're actually getting up on uh, kind of the time here more than, a little quicker than I expected, but let's talk about some albums that you yeah. consider essential. Yes. And okay. we kind of shared a list back and forth and there's, I mean, we could go on for days about our list of influential albums, essential albums, stoner, metal, rock, anything. I mean, I could make a list of a hundred bands that I think you should check out, but from what we, from what we went back and forth on, let's talk about a couple things. Sure. This first one is We Hunt Buffalo, Living Ghosts. And this one was one that you said was an essential stoner album. And I remember this being one of those albums that I'm pretty sure I heard off of Stone Meadow of Doom, in fact, and being like, wow, like, I don't know many stoner rock albums yet. I know Queens of Stone Age. I know Caius. I know Truck Fighters maybe at this point. I think I've maybe heard Uncle Acid at this point. And I heard this album and I was like, this is so fucking good. This is exactly what I'm looking for as far as like stoner rock. It's fun, but it's heavy but it's like very accessible. You don't feel like overwhelmed by just like sludginess. I mean, it's just like, it's a such a good record all the way through. You also had the opportunity to talk to, what was it? The drummer? Yeah. Yeah. From uh, Green Green Green. yeah. Very awesome. Very awesome. I mean, it's such a good band. I don't even know if other people know We Hunt Buffalo as well as maybe you and I do, because to me, this was such a, like a, a major record in my, my growth as like a stoner metal fan. So um, when I like say like, this is my favorite record, like this is my favorite record. Like, wow. Uh, I, wow. I, uh, you know, like Spotify does like the, the, the recap every year. And it, it told me I was like in the 0.0001% of like their top listeners. So like I yeah. might have been their top listener last year. That's so awesome. So I have like I have like a couple of different playlists that I listen to a lot. Um, and they they have a, a lot of appearances on, on both of them. So um, but this this album specifically, I remember like the first time I heard this and I was like desperately trying to tell everybody about Living Ghost. I think there, there's so much going on here. Um, 
I don't I don't actually know if it if it is a concept album, but it feels like a concept album. It, it everything is so cohesive. And the other thing too is this album like does get really heavy and it's really well written, but there's such an emotional um it's so emotional this this album. And there are a couple songs on here like the first time I heard them I was just like heartbroken. Like there's so much pain in the vocals and in the guitar solos. So like this, this to me is just like absolutely gorgeous and you can appreciate it for like being down and dirty stoner rock, but you can also appreciate it just as like a piece of music. And it's, I I love albums that are really cohesive and like strong all the way through. And so like sometimes my, my favorite albums, like I don't know if there's like a single off of this record. Like if there's anything I would point to and like, I would say, start with this song. Mm Mm-hmm but it's just a collection of really strong individual tracks and they go together really well. And so this one stands out to me for sure. Awesome. It's a great record. Astro queen into submission. I think that you and I maybe talked about this a little bit like offline or something, but like this was one of those records again, that was like one of the first stoner records that I heard. And I was like, there has to be more music out there in the world like this. And then realizing the Astro Queen like didn't exist after this album, I was like, yeah, they dipped. Devastated, <laughs> being like, holy shit! Like this, I remember. I, <laughs> this is so fucking long ago. This is like 2010 or something. Like I just created a Twitter account and just a personal Twitter account, not for Sully Fuzz, obviously. And I remember, like, I don't, I don't know what it was. Like, my 20th tweet was, "Holy shit! I just discovered Astro Queen this album," and it yeah. was like. I just I just thought so much of this album and it's such like the the perfect fuzzy sound of their guitars and like the way it's record r- uh, written it's just it's so good to me. That and then uh, now like they're re- repressing this for the first time in 20 years. They're also playing Majestic Mountain Festival. I couldn't get a straight answer out of Marco about like if they're like writing new material, but I kind of got the hint maybe <laughs> with <laughs> without him saying a word that it, that's definitely possible. And with like the low rider reunion, may, putting out a record after 20 years, I mean, it's definitely possible that they're, they're working on something. I don't know. I, I couldn't be more excited to me. This is like, yeah. if, if someone asked me my like Mount Rushmore of stoner rock records, like this would be there for sure. Top this, this is, this album is also immaculate. And uh, that, that song, superhuman God, uh-huh. I, I heard that song and it was one that I just like listened to and repeat for like, and a gross amount of time like for like a week uh you know it's funny like in a past life i i was an editor for a couple of like um like really dry financial publications so like i would be sitting there writing about like accounts payable news and then just like freaking out to asher queen into submission like that's awesome. i can't tell you how 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 much i burned this album out. yeah me too i mean it's just so good and then this is another one for me that would be like on my Mount Rushmore. And to me, it's very similar in kind of the same vein of Astro Queen. And I just sent it to you and I don't yeah. know that you had really heard it until. I, until I hadn't heard it. I only heard it for the first time in the last 24 hours. I really dig it. This is like yeah. a really fuzzy, really groovy uh, album. This is like really, really cool. I told you this morning before we hopped on that it reminded me of um, Greenleaf's uh Revolution Rock record, which I think came out a couple years after this. This was '99, right? I don't don't know. No, Um, I think this was. I think this was 1999. I think Revolution Rock was 2001. But very similar approach. This is like very retro. I love the the vocal approach on this too. 
Um, he's kind of got sort of like this sing-songy, shouted vocal approach. It does, it's not like screaming or anything, but it's very projected yeah. and punchy. And they they actually went on and they made like two or three more records, and mm-hmm. they're not bad. But I don't think that they ever quite hit the nail on the, the stoner rock head quite like this album. Whereas I think the other albums later were more like rock, just like alternative yeah. rock, whatever, like nineties kind of rock. Um, but this, this record in particular, like always just like, I don't know, again, you know, Mount Rushmore of, of like stoner rock records maybe for me, but it's also an incredible album cover, by the way. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I did, I did a parody of this one called sauced in space and it's just a drunk guy on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so, so Sasquatch. Um, this, what's funny about Sasquatch to me was this record. I don't know that well. Whereas, like, again, probably Stone Meadow of Doom at, at the time was Sasquatch Maneuvers came out, mm. and I was like, "Holy shit! This Maneuvers record is is amazing. It's so good." But what I didn't realize at the time was that they had been around a while and had plenty of a fan base at that point of people that yeah. had loved their stuff. And I didn't really know that. I went back and listened to stuff. But I think that a common thread through this list of albums that we kind of go through is that whatever you hear first seems to be the thing that, like, you measure everything else upon. And so, like, for me hearing Maneuvers, I always measure everything against that and go, yeah, three's okay, two's okay, you know, they have good records, but, but Maneuvers for me. But it's only because I heard it first. And mm-hmm. I think that that's the same for a lot of these albums. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I think that's like a very human response because that first one you find is like so precious that yeah. like, yeah, you're right. That's going to be the yardstick. And even if something is better, you know, it's, it feels like you're cheating a little bit. You know? Yeah. Something so like, what, was, what was it about three that you liked so much? Did you hear this one first? I, I think I heard the, I actually don't know if it's just called one or if it's self-titled. I've seen it presented as okay. both. I heard that first. And then I think I listened to them in order, but I, they were all digested very quickly back to back to back. Um, okay. But this one, I think, is is probably the strongest mm-hmm. album that they have, I think. And that um, opening, that opening riff on Get Out of Here, so heavy. It's so heavy and it's so good. And I mean, I listen to that song a lot. I have a um, like a favorite riffs um, playlist and like this is definitely on there. This is just like a really, really good, um, just like a heavy rock and roll band. Like, yeah, they've they've been they've uh, appeared a lot in like um, some of those like motorcycle type uh, TV shows. Like, I think they were in like Doug the Bounty Hunter, and I didn't know that. Um, they uh, they've they've made appearances in soundtracks. I don't. I did an article once about that, so don't quote me. But they've been around. <laughs> That's awesome. They're they're a great band, and I, I again I believe that they're working on something new this year. But we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Very excited. So, uh, Truck Fighters Universe was on your list, and I wanted to mention Truck Fighters Mania being on my list. And again, I I think that this comes back to like Mania was just the first album that I heard by Truck Fighters, and it yeah. holds with such a special place in my heart. And we kind of talked about this before, where like I heard Majestic, and yeah. to me it's like just the the perfect song. It's the best truck fighter song. It's just like what I measure everything else up against. And Mania to me just all the way through is great. And I think that I'm alone in that. I think most people would say Gravity X. Maybe they say Universe. But for me, Mania has always just been just so, so perfect to me. But regardless, truck fighters are fucking amazing. And you put Universe on your list as well. Yeah. 
I think it's funny that neither of us chose Gravity X because <laughs> that is that's like a landmark album. Yeah, it is a landmark album for sure. It's it's what most people mention is is you know yeah. some of the best stoner music ever. Yeah. So, but, but I think I mean, Mania and Universe are I, I think have um, again are just like really two emotional albums too. Um, just beautiful, really. Yeah, and it I mean there's like so many like fun songs on there where they're just like this fun rowdy stoner band but like there's so much more to them you know and yeah. to me majestic is a perfect example of that and what was was it chairman what's the one that um it's pretty epic on this on the universe yeah there there are a couple um i'm embarrassed now because i can't remember the last track is is super is it my is it just called universe actually i'll pull it up it is oh mastodon is like a huge okay. huge um that's like the 14 minute track gotcha. uh, it's, it's gorgeous and it's it's really big it's really heavy yeah all right so here's the greenleaf album that you you put on your list and again i think the first album i heard was what was it called um what was the one that you said earlier um it wasn't it wasn't um well you you'd mentioned that oh revolution rock was the first one that no, um, um, what's they, called pa- passages and passes and oh, uh, um, uh, it is. Uh, I I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, e- either way, I'll, I'll look it up. But trails, it, it trails uh, and passes trails. trail trails and passes. That's what it was. Trails and passes. That was the first one that I heard. Mm-hmm. Their new album, Echoes of a Mass, is great. But I never went back and heard their old stuff, so I don't even know that I really know this album that well. I think I think you would like this because it would be between uh, those two albums. And to me, like their first four records are are very distinct in 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 their sound. Like Revolution Rock is like very retro and like fuzzy, and then the one right after that to me sounds like uh, like Heaven and Hell era Black Sabbath, and then like Agents of Armin is. Um, it's, it's a little bit all over the place, but it's like blues rock with like hard rock mixed in and then just like insane guitars. And then on trails and passes, I think they really get down into like this, this like heavy blues rock with like lots of distortion. And it's like, these are rock and roll songs and they're just like really, really beefed up. And occasionally mm-hmm. there's like a, a, a tinge of like psychedelic rock in there too. And I think that's where they've kind of been over the last few years. And they just, keep getting darker and they keep getting moodier i don't i don't want to like say darker like doomy but yeah. I, I think there's there's a certain there's level like an emotional it. part of it yeah. now where it's it, like you said moody and they're a little bit more like maybe they put a little bit more like emotion into like their writing or something mm-hmm. and that's not always a, a good thing i mean sometimes it's just like a straight rock record that's just fun to listen to but they right. they do it so well and they write such like good good records that echoes of a mass was on my top 10 last year mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just great. Greenleaf's great. Yeah. But, okay. Um, I'm not sure what's next, actually. Oh, Cowboys and Aliens. I think that we we briefly talked about this in like a on, in a certain post or something like that. But, man, I, I this was a late one. This wasn't one of the early records that I discovered. It was like in the last like two years or something I discovered this and was like, it's perfect all the way through. It's just, it's fun. It's fun and, and that perfect tone of like stoner fuzziness. It's just perfect. This album I discovered at the same time as Into Submission. So in my head, they're tied together. And I often listen to them back to back. But um, they do a really cool cover of Sharp Dressed Man, Man on here. 
And um, there are a couple songs on here that absolutely blew me away. And I remember the day I realized that this album cover is not a sand dune. Yeah. That is a booty. <laughs> it took me a long time to realize that. Yeah. I mean, they're like, some of their lyrics, they're like, they're so straightforward. I mean, they're just like, put your hands down my pants and like that kind of shit. <laughs> but it makes me laugh and it makes me smile. And it's just like such a like perfect, like just fun rock record. Like they're, it's not too emotional. It's not moody at all. It's like very the opposite of like Greenleaf. It's, yeah. it's just fun. It's just good old fucking heavy rock and roll, man. I, yeah. I really enjoy that one. Uh, Low Rider Ode to Io was on my list. Refractions, yeah. like I said, just as good, if not better. But like, this was one of those early albums where I was like, this is Mount Rushmore material. It's, it's, it's the sound. It's like the perfect tone mm-hmm. of a record that I'm, I'm looking for. You know? Yeah, I agree with, I, I left them off my list. I just slipped my mind, but I agree. There's, that's like a Rushmore album for me too. Just solid all the way through. Um, Valley of the Sun. What's interesting is that I just about put Volume Rock on my list, and you put Saying of the Sears on there, and I've never heard anyone say that because yeah. to me, to me, like a lot of people think Old Gods, which is their new, their latest yeah. record, was like kind of them figuring out like what they were. Great record, and it is a great record. But to me, Volume Rock was just a little bit more fun, and it was just more like kind of like Cowboys and Aliens, where it's just like oh, straight yeah. up. Very rock fun. and roll, you know, it's yeah. just loud, better played loud kind of rock and roll music. I've never heard anyone say this one. I didn't even know this one existed for like a couple years. And yeah. it's great. I went back and listened to it. It's great. So what about it? It sets it apart from the others. So first of all, pro tip for bands. If you want like a killer review, just put out like an EP with like five incredible songs. Don't don't go for like a full length where you have to like fluff it up with five bad tracks. Like if all you have is five bad songs, just do five. I mean, not, all you have is five good songs. Stick with those five songs because uh-huh. this. I think this EP is only what four or five tracks. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely immaculate, and it ends on dunes, which is about like just driving over like sand dunes and like your dune buggy or something, and it is like. To me, that's like a quintessential like stoner rock sound because it's got all of the elements you need. It's got like fast driving. It's got the desert. It's got like that really cool pulse to it. Um, so uh, to me, this is just like immaculate, immaculate, immaculate. Valley of the Sun, j- just so fucking good, man. And I, and underrated. I mean, they're a band that's very fucking quiet, too quiet on social media. Mm. They need to they need to like read your book, take some tips because <laughs> I wish they were more active because they're yeah. such a great fucking band. And we talked, I think maybe the last time we spoke about seeing them, and I saw them open up for Truck Fighters. I think you did too. Yeah, as well, yeah. right. And they fucking blew me away. I mean, I, I was a fan before, but I left there like a diehard. You know, I yeah. left there going like, this is one of my favorite bands ever. And mm-hmm. I can't wait for what they're putting out this year. They just released the Chariot, um, a single, and I think the album is called the Chariot as well. But coming out this year. So this album I, I wanted to put on here because I didn't know it at all. I, I went and listened to it by your recommendation and I loved it. Yeah. Um, this this is like a sleeper album, I think. I don't think a lot of people know about it. And to be honest with you, like I it's a God sleeper album. But... <laughs> yeah. That's why you do the the, the puns. Um, <laughs> I like occasionally forget this exists. And I will like lose my mind for a couple of days because I'll remember a couple lyrics. 
and I'll like be trying to remember enough lyrics to find this again. And then I'll listen to it for like three days straight and then I'll lose it again. But um, very, very underappreciated and just like really, really fun. Like talking about like fun albums yeah. and their their uh, lead singer is such a badass. Like she's got yeah. such a cool voice. Yeah. Um, very, very unique and very, very powerful. Yeah, I like this a lot. That was great. Great recommendation. So local age, I we, we're running out of time here, unfortunately, I think. But I, I could talk for like another hour about local age, not because I'm the biggest fan in the world, but because my buddy is the biggest fan in the world. And because of him always preaching the gospel of local age and they're from kind of this area around Chicago, I have just grown to love them. They opened up for Metallica a few years ago when I saw Metallica at Soldier Field. Um, I've just, I kept going back to their albums. Whenever I don't know what to put on, if I'm just kind of in a slump, I go, I'm just gonna listen to like an old local age album. And they're not all, they're not, they're not, they're not all winners. I mean, there's some songs that I don't love, but there's, when they're good, they're great is, is how I always put them is like, their good songs are great. And they put out a lot of material every couple of years, they put something else out and they're very consistent. A lot of people know them from that one song off the, like the first album back in the nineties, but like, there's so much more than that. There's so many good, like just bangers on a lot of albums that they put out. So I, I think that you're right. By the way, we've kind of reached the outside of stoner metal section <laughs> here, just in case anyone was wondering. So um, a few things. Uh, you're absolutely right in that some of their albums are inconsistent. And for people that are like, oh yeah, they did do that, that copacetic song like copacetic, back in the 90s. Yeah. They, um, uh, and a lot of people call it copacetic. It was uh, Bound for the Floor. Yeah. Uh, so like that was, that was like the hit off of that and they went gold. And then, so really quick recap. Um, and your buddy probably talks about this too. So they were, they were like primed to go mainstream after that record. And then I think they were on Island and, um, they were actively like putting this out and their record label went under and they just kind of got lost in the shuffle. And then, so like the band just got cut off at the knees, but I think this is probably one of their best records. And this is like one that's very, very consistent. I don't think there's a bad song on this record. So like, this is one I listened to all the way through. And then I think they followed this up with Here Comes the Zoo, which is like very, very consistent um, and has some of my favorite local age songs. So like, I think if anyone's thinking about getting into local age, those are really good two starting points. Yeah, great band, lots of good stuff. And and it's worth just like checking out like the breadth of their their oh, material because there's just there's so much there to discover. Yeah. So have you ever heard this album, Terry Reed, Seed of Memory? I listened to uh I started listening to this song actually this morning because I was like, oh shit, I haven't heard like his other stuff. So that you recommended. So I started listening to this. It's um it's kind of got like that like old school country kind of feel to it a little bit. So like it's rock. old school country in like a classic rock package or something, yeah. you know? And the reason I discovered this is I think a lot of people did at this time was Rob Zombie's Devil's Rejects. He mm. put like three songs in that movie from this album in, in that movie. So cool. And every time I heard one, I was like, what is this? I got to go find what this is. And I realized it was the same guy off of the same exact album. And I was like, well, this must be an amazing album. And I, I found it and it is. And it, th there's like, I don't know, six or seven tracks. Every single one's amazing. He has other albums and I don't think they're quite mm. as good, but, he, but he's great. And just real quick, I think as story goes, uh, Jimmy Page asked him to sing for Led Zeppelin in the early days and he turned it down. Wow. Yeah. So they went to Robert Plant after Terry Reed turned it down. 
But anyway, this one particular album, so fucking good. Yeah, it's got like kind of a country feel to it in a singer-songwritery classic yeah. rock kind of yeah. a, a package or whatever. But anyway, fucking amazing. One of my favorite albums of all time. Um, let's move on real quick to um, Real or Fuzzed. Oh, sweet. So let me figure out how to um, to do that here. So real or fuzz? I'm going to show you ten albums. Some are real, some are fake. I think I think that you'll probably do pretty well with this. <laughs> but uh, we've talked about enough albums. I figured I might as well throw some uh, some funny stuff in there too. I really want this to be real. I'm going to say real. This is this is slightly fuzzed. Mm. That's so good. <laughs> Hotline to heaven. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm gonna. This is slightly fuzzed. This, this is this is fake. This is real. This is a real one. For some reason, there's a there's a handful of like God related albums in in your real or fuzz. I don't know why. That's funny. That's, but he seems he seems to come up a couple times in here. Aside from this one, this one he does not. He's not mentioned in this one. <laughs> Lords of Acid with the album Pussy. You know what? I'm gonna say this is real, um, just because it's so pixelated and it looks like it's like a really old uh, uh, graphic. So I'm gonna go real. Yeah. yeah, this is real. I I just found this. I don't I don't know why. I don't know what it sounds like, unfortunately. But uh, it it's got like '90s written all over it, where they were just yeah. like. You know, let's go for it. That's awesome. Yeah. Ben Dover, having a ball. Oh, uh, this is fake. Yeah, this is fake. <laughs> All My Life by Diane Foster. This looks like, like something just pulled right off of Obscura's final. Like this, this is, uh, this is amazing. Yeah. This is real. This is real. And again, I've, I've brought this up a few times where I just want to make a podcast dedicated to like digging deeper into these albums. And I, I, it's not so much about the music on this one, because I'm sure I know what the music is. Uh, but I want to talk to the designer. And it's like, uh, why Why did you just put tw 20 fucking photos of her holding the saxophone in a circle? Like, why? The past like, why? was a lawless time. There, was no, there were no design rules like back in the day. Man, so it looks it. like anyway. <laughs> so stupid. All right, this one's called <laughs> Girls' Night. Friday, Friday night. night Saturday morning. Morning. Oh, I love that. I've got um, the Melancholy album back out there, and it's like, what is it? Uh, Dawn and Dusk and Twilight to Starlight. To get yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Uh, two sides. Um, this is real. This is fuzzed. Oh, that's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> James Van Buren. I ain't doing too bad. <laughs> I'm going to go real. This is real. That is a, quite the saxophone player in the back there. Yeah. I love the concepts of these where they go, listen, you're not doing too bad. We're going to have chicks on cool red cars. And he's just going to be playing a sax solo. And the guy's <laughs> like, exactly what I had in my head. Great job. Mm -hmm. Perfect. I love it. He touched me. <laughs> Greg, Greg Kendrick. <laughs> this is fake. 
<laughs> it's very real. It's all <laughs> it's all too real. <laughs> wow. Wow, that is that's a lot of decisions in, in one graphic. He touched me. Yeah. No one no one flagged that as let's, uh, let's <laughs> problematic. Rethink, let's rethink the title. All right. Don Perkins, songs for my wild woman. I think this is real because I think I've actually like unless unless like you've put it out before, I think I've seen this graphic before. Is this real? This is fuzzed. Oh. Did you which did you what what did you start with? Like what graphic did you did you have like a man with his head on uh, this was from like an old uh magazine ad. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what the ad was about. <laughs> those those old 60s ads are Yeah, I think you know, I've seen that ad before cuz like this yeah. that image just looks very familiar. Wow. Yeah, it was in an ad. I don't know if it was for like a vacuum or, you know, what whatever, but it was like you know, how to control your woman or some shit. <laughs> Again, lawless times. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last one. This is from Snatch. If the party's in your mouth, we're coming. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's real. This is real. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, man. I, I I really feel like we could probably talk for another hour, but unfortunately, we uh, we got to wrap this one up. So, uh, thanks so much for being on the podcast, and it was great to talk to you again. Yeah, we'll have to schedule another one, man. And uh, there there's stuff here on my note card that we didn't even get to. So I know you're up to a lot, and you're working with a lot of people, and and uh, you know doing great marketing things, and working with the bands and Monster Riff stuff. So tell I, everyone what you want to plug here at the end and we'll get another one scheduled here in the in the near future yeah um first of all thank you for having me on the show this was a ton of fun i will come back anytime uh you want me or have like an extra like spot or whatever um send me your music if if you don't want it reviewed that's fine just send me all of your bad tracks all of your good tracks send me your music um pat at monsterriff.com um even if it's like I've reviewed stuff where people have been like, Oh, we put out this album like five years ago. Do you want to review it? Yeah, I do. Um, if I don't respond to you right away, it's not because I don't like you. Uh, it's because I'm busy. And so just follow up with me in the same email and I will get back to you. Um, but yeah, send me your stuff, uh, and, uh, be good to each other. This is a small scene and, uh, we all need help. So that's all. That's all I got for you. Right on. Well said. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. All right. Take care, man. Later.